Hi, I'm Archie Curry. And I'm Dee Curry. And, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, July 23rd, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series, Win the Day, which is based on the best-selling book of the same title by Pastor Mark Batterson. During this series, we're unpacking seven habits that will help you stress less and accomplish more. Two weeks ago, part one was titled Flip the Script, and the whole idea was that if you want to change your life, you have to change your story. Last week in part two, it was titled Kiss the Wave, and we found out that in order to do that, you have to face your fear. You have to actually wade into the water, so to speak, stand your ground, and hold your peace. Today is part three, and the sermon is titled Eat the Frog. Now you're probably thinking, what in the world is eating this frog thing? What's going on here? What's he talking about? Well, you heard me right. The sermon title is called Eat the Frog. Let me ask you one question. What's the one thing you like least to do, but you feel best about afterward? That, my friend, is your frog, and it's often the hardest habit to establish, but it pays the biggest dividends. All you have to do is plan your work, then work your plan. It's time to eat the frog, but before we do, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for this amazing privilege you've given us once again to hear from your word. Lord, I pray for your voice to be heard today, not mine, but yours. Lord, teach us. Teach us about eating the frog, what that really means, and how we can translate that in our habit formation to something that glorifies you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Bob Specka was a sophomore at Marple Newton High School when he was first introduced to the math induction theory. His teacher, Mr. Dobransky, likened the theory to the domino effect. After school, Bob Specka went out and bought two boxes of dominoes. He lined them up, 112 dominoes in a row, pushed one over, and you know what happened from there. It's called the domino effect. After graduating high school, Bob Specka appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson to show off his domino toppling skills. The Guinness Book of World Records created a category to recognize his accomplishments in 1976. Bob Specka set the first world record in domino toppling with a chain reaction numbering 11,111 dominoes. Over the next decade, he would break his own world record five times, topping out, tapping out, at 97,500 dominoes. Around the same time Bob Specka was setting world records, a physicist named Lorne Whitehead was doing experiments with the domino chain reaction. Whitehead discovered that a domino is capable of knocking over another domino that is one and a half times its size. A two-inch domino can topple a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can topple a four-and-a-half-inch domino, and so on. By the time you get to the 18th domino, you could topple the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Of course, it's leaning, so that's not entirely fair. The 21st domino could take out the Washington Monument. The 23rd domino could knock over the Eiffel Tower. And the 27th domino could cartwheel the 160-story Burf Khalifa, the world's tallest building in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. By the way, that building is 2,722 feet tall, or just over half a mile high. Now let me double all the way back to that math induction theory. Instead of a fancy formula, let me give you a real-world example. According to this theory, you can climb as high as you like on a ladder by starting at the bottom rung, then climbing the ladder one rung at a time. 
The theory is relatively new, but the idea is as old as the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, verse 6, which says, look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now, let me say it another way. Almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. The key is what I would call domino habits, little habits that are high leverage habits. Here's what I know for sure. If you do little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. Mark Twain is purported to have said, if you have to eat a live frog, it's best done first thing in the morning. So why eat the live frog? Because you can go through the rest of the day knowing the hardest task is behind you. Now hold that thought. According to a Duke University study, 45% of daily behavior is automatic. That's not bad unless, of course, they're bad habits. Habits are the way we put things on repeat. Without the ability to automate, we'd have to relearn everything we do every single day. Habitualization is not just a good thing, it's a God thing. Habits save us tremendous time and energy, but this savings comes at a cost. When something becomes second nature, we don't give it a second thought. That's when, where, and why we need to deconstruct and reconstruct our daily habits. And there are lots of ways to do this. You can study other people and hack their habits, but leadership starts with self-leadership, and self-leadership starts with daily habits. You've got to do an analysis of your time management, talent management, and treasure management. You've got to identify strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That's what's called the SWOT analysis, or SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T. Now, here's what I believe. You can reinvent yourself. You can reprogram your mind. You can repurpose your heart. You can reinvent your body. Last July 27th, I went to the urgent care clinic at Brook Army Medical Center, Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. I was diagnosed with diverticulitis. Before I was discharged, the doctor, Dr. Morgan, came in and gave me some final instructions. I asked her if she was going to put me on a diet. She said no, but she would strongly recommend that I read the discharge papers because there were some very helpful suggestions on how I could keep this from happening again. I actually read those papers and made the decision to begin changing what and how I ate and drank. The result to date is I've lost 47 pounds, to the glory of God, and I've started walking again and I'm up to four miles. I'm not telling you all this because I'm all that and a bag of chips. Rather, I give God all the glory. Up to that moment in January, I had been mistreating my body, but God gave me a choice, a second chance, if you will. I chose the one thing I didn't want to do, I really didn't want to do, but I felt better after doing it, and that was changing what I was eating and drinking. In other words, I ate the frog. Let me say this now. I recognize nature as well as nurture. Like height, weight has a heritability factor. I'm not dismissing that. But that doesn't change the point that almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is just some repackaged self-help, isn't it? No, it's not. This is a stewardship issue. It's making the most of your time, talent, and treasure. It's my utmost for his highest. It's cultivating not only good habits, but God habits. Now, what I want you to do is I want to hack your habits right now. We'll talk about habit stacking and habit switching in just a little bit. We're going to reverse engineer some goals and turn them into daily habits. But before we do, pick a habit, any habit. It can be physical, relational, emotional, mental, financial, or spiritual. For the sake of simplicity, I'll give you a few examples. It could be doing your age in sit-ups. It could be keeping a gratitude journal with a daily quota. It could be five minutes of meditation. It could be a daily Bible reading plan. Pick a habit, 
any habit. Now, what are the keys to habit formation? Let me give you three keys for your consideration. Number one, you have to make it measurable. Number two, you have to make it meaningful. And number three, you have to make it maintainable. So let's break this down. First, your habit has to be measurable. Statistics show that most people professing faith in Jesus have never completely read their Bible. Many people start reading the Bible, but then they become overwhelmed by the number of chapters, which is 1,189, and the number of verses, 31,102. What they don't realize is they can read the Bible in a year by reading fewer than four chapters a day. In fact, I'm going to show you how to do it in even less than that. So to make this habit measurable, consider this technique. Take the number of pages in your edition of the Bible. My Bible has 2,335 pages. That's from page 1 in Genesis to the last page of Revelation. I divided that by 365, and the number is just a little over 6.5. Round that number up to 7, and that's how many pages I can read each day in a year, and I'll be finished with the Bible by then. And of course, you can check your progress every month by making sure you've read your monthly page count. Once the habit is measurable, it's manageable. One way to do this is by adding timelines and deadlines, like the example I just shared. When it comes to goal setting and habit building, deadlines are lifelines. Next, you have to make your habit meaningful. Habit formation isn't about you. It's about the third and fourth generations. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about being a blessing. God knew the necessity of one generation passing the torch of faith to the next. He even laid out a plan for us in the Word. One familiar passage is Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9, which we'll talk about in just a bit. Here, God tells us not only to model faith for our children, but to also purposefully teach them God's word, to talk about God's truth when we sit at home, when we go out, when we rise, and when we lie down. Timothy's spiritual heritage is my favorite New Testament example. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he highlighted the younger man's sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. That's 2 Timothy 1.5. Timothy's mother and grandmother faithfully taught him God's word and modeled godly lives. They followed the instruction God gave more than a millennium earlier. This instruction is also for us today. Let us weave God's word into the fabric of our families. We can point to God's truths during the casual moments of our daily lives, and we can intentionally teach scripture during scheduled times like family devotions or Bible study. We can foster a respect for Scripture in our families by sharing what God is teaching us through Scripture and how we can depend on it for guidance. You've got to do whatever it takes to make the habit meaningful enough to keep you moving toward your goal. So along with being measurable and meaningful, our habits have to be maintainable. It's okay to dream big, but you have to start small. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you write two pages a day, you'll have a book in a hundred days. You are capable of more than you can imagine, but consistency beats intensity seven days a week and twice on Sundays. If you want to be consistent in your walk with Jesus, then spend daily time in prayer and reading your Bible. That's a great way to begin solidifying your habit. You have to do it one day at a time, and then the next day, and then the next day. That's how every goal is accomplished. And the good news is that anybody can do anything for a day. So you have to make the habit measurable, meaningful, and maintainable. Hey, you're doing great. Hang in there. Now let me share with you two techniques that will help you eat your frog. They're called habit switching and habit stacking. First, let's talk about habit switching. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says something I find fascinating as it relates to habit formation. Look with me at Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45. 
This is what it says. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. So the person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Now this is a complicated verse to interpret, but let me share with you what I think is happening, and then I'll relate it to the point of habit formation. To further describe how it will be with this evil generation, Jesus told this parable focusing on the attitude of the nation of Israel and the religious leaders in particular. There is danger in attempting to be neutral about Jesus. Unfilled and complacent people are easy targets for Satan. Take a look at those verses again, starting with verse 43. The evil spirit was not cast out. Did you notice that? But it left the person for some reason. The desert was believed to be the habitation of demons. Because this demon did not find a place to rest in the desert, the demon returned to the person it came from. In its absence, the demon's home had been cleaned up, but it was still empty. Therein lay the problem and the real crux of Jesus' teaching. The nation had been swept and was in order by the teaching and preaching of John the Baptist and of Jesus. Many had come to repent, but if the nation did not turn around, truly repenting from sin and turning to Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, they would be no better off than a clean but empty house. Into that house comes worse evil than before. Jesus pictured the demon finding seven other more evil spirits and returning to the clean house. The person now filled with eight demons instead of one is definitely, as the verse says, worse off than before. Now back to habit formation. Look at verse 45. Let me ask you the obvious question. Why is the person worse off than before? Because they didn't cultivate the daily disciplines necessary to back up the divine deliverance. God can deliver you in a day, no doubt, but you have to cultivate daily habits to back up this miracle. Again, if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. Now hold on to that thought for a moment. You don't break a bad habit by not doing it. Sure, this might work for a week or two or four, but that's not a long-term solution. Spiritually speaking, you don't stop sinning by not sinning. That's like someone saying, don't think about the jolly green giant. Now what image just popped into y'all's minds? In psychology, there's something called a double bind. If I say to you, be spontaneous, you can't be. It creates a no-win situation, and the same goes for every temptation we face. I wish eating the frog was as easy as just say no. It's not. So what's the solution? You need a vision bigger and better than the temptation. The best way to break a bad habit is by building a good habit. Easier said than done, I know, and it takes time and effort. But you've got to reinvest your time, talent, and treasure into a good habit a God habit. In the 1970s, Dr. William Glasser wrote a groundbreaking book called Positive Addiction. Glasser said, addiction is not all bad. Sure, negative addiction destroys our lives in one drink, one click, one hit at a time. Positive addictions have the opposite effect. In a sense, all of us are addicts. The question is this, are those addictions positive or negative, healthy or unhealthy, holy or unholy? All of us could afford to complain a little less, am I right? But you don't just stop complaining. You've got to switch the habit. Let me give you a simple example. If you want to flip the script, one of the best ways to do it is keep a gratitude journal. I started doing this after part one. It can turn someone who complains about anything into someone who is grateful for everything with one little habit. Keep a gratitude journal every single day. Write down one thing you're grateful for per day. You've got to write it. You've got to recite it. And sooner or later, it will flip your script. 
Why? It sanctifies the reticular activating system that determines what we notice and what goes unnoticed. You aren't a complainer anymore. You're someone who is profoundly grateful for anything and everything in your life. So the first key to eating the frog is habit switching. The second key is habit stacking. So technically speaking, habit stacking is coupling difficult habits with habits that come easy. It's coupling a habit that comes easy, like drinking coffee with a habit that requires a little more discipline, like Bible study. Pastor Mark Batterson has a little formula he came up with. It says, the Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. I don't drink coffee, but that sounds good to me. The same could be said of Holy Scripture. A caffeinated drink makes the Bible taste better. Habit stacking is designing daily rituals by leveraging everyday activities. The nomenclature of habit stacking might be new, but the idea is as old as Shema. The Shema prayer is one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. It was a daily prayer for ancient Israelites and is still recited by Jewish people today. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Let's see what it says. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now, the question is, how do you keep the commands in your heart? You do them by putting them into practice. The answer is habit stacking. Let's continue with verses 7 through 9. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God doesn't just give us commands. He couples them with daily rituals such as getting up and lying down. If you're trying to cultivate a prayer habit, one of the best ways to do it is first thing in the morning or the last thing at night. Why? Those rituals function as reminders. Here's the good news. Some of you are already habit stacking and you're not even aware of it. If you pray before meals, you're habit stacking. If you pray when you get out of bed in the morning or when you go to bed at night, you're habit stacking. If you hug your spouse and kids when you get home, you're habit stacking. The trick is putting this into practice across the board. All it requires is intentionality coupled with consistency. Show me your habits, I'll show you your future. Over time, you'll become the sum total of your habits. That may sound a little overwhelming, but let me ask a simple question. Pick a habit, any habit. Can you do it for a day? Don't try to change 17 things all at once. You'll fail on the first day. I know I've tried multiple times throughout my life. Focus on one habit, maybe two if you have it stacked. Listen to an audio book. Better yet, listen to the Bible on audio when you bike or walk, then you can pull off too. For better or worse, you are the sum total of your habits. Bad habits always come back to bite us. Good habits always come back to bless us. Either way, you cannot break the law of measures. It will make or break you. So simply put, you'll get out of it what you put into it. And by it, I mean anything and everything from your health to your wealth to your marriage. Ultimately, how you do anything is how you'll do everything. Ultimately, we can't do it on our own strength. And God is going to show up and show off. The whole will be even greater than the sum of your habits. How? His name is the Holy Spirit. He is the X factor. To be fair, I don't want to over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize habit formation. There's a psychology to habit formation, but there's also a theology to habit formation. Habit formation is an art and a science, but it's also a spiritual battle. And the battle is won or lost in the mind. It's mind over matter. King Solomon once said in Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, 
so is he. It starts right there in the mind. What's the good news? Almost anybody can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. It always starts with the first domino. You've got to fill out the job application. You've got to make the first appointment. You've got to check the first box. You've got to do the first workout. You've got to lose the first pound. You flick over that first domino and I've got news for you. It's called the math induction theory. It takes very little effort to push over a single domino. In fact, 0.024 joules of input energy to be exact. That's the flick of a finger. By the time you reach the 13th domino, the potential energy is 2 billion times greater than the energy it took to knock over the first domino. So what's my point? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. A two-inch domino may be seen as insignificant, but extrapolated across time and space, it has exponential effect. The same is true of our micro habits. Do your age in sit-ups and sooner or later, it will add up to a six-pack. Write 100 words a day and sooner or later, it will add up to a book. Every decision you make, every action you take has a domino chain reaction. We overestimate what we can accomplish in a single day, but we underestimate what God can do in a year or two or ten. Consistency beats intensity seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Why? The compound interest of daily habits pays dividends. Give it enough time and you can transform your body, transform your mind, transform your marriage, transform your finances, even transform your attitude. A six-pack may be 100 pounds from here. Writing a book may be 50,000 words away. Debt-free may be $100,000 beyond your budget. Reconciling a relationship may require 17 counseling sessions. If you focus on the outcome, the finish line feels so far away that you're tempted to quit before you even start. The same is true of almost any challenge, isn't it? Slice the pie into pieces. How? Identify the lead measures that will produce the desired outcome you want and then do it for a day and then do it the next day and the next day after that. It all comes down really to one question, my friends. Can you do it for a day? When it comes down to habit formation, it's the question. Pick a habit, any habit. Make it measurable, meaningful, and maintainable. Then with the flick of a finger, knock over that first domino. Do a little habit switching and or habit stacking. The cumulative effect of those daily habits will pay dividends until the day you die. They will leave an inheritance for all eternity. Beloved, it's time to eat the frog. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.